0: Hey, good morning. So glad you are here today. Um, Just as in every week of this series, there on the inside aisles are these note sheets. If you want a paper copy, otherwise you can find them on our website. um, And you can also find them on our Shiloh Connect app. Uh, You can find the notes there. So as we wrap up this series today, um, I want to kind of turn our focus a little bit. Um, because throughout this series, we've talked kind of about thoughts and feelings, and specifically what goes on in this battle in our mind, and how Satan fights and wages this war. And today, I want to kind of turn our focus away from us and what we think towards who Jesus is, as we wrap up this series. And, and I want to begin with the verse that Tom shared with us, just this little part, as we said in week One and two, we're in this war. We're in this battle. And I think Peter reminds us of that here in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I think one of the, the greatest spaces that Satan fights that battle is here in our head. It is the battle that goes on between our ears every single day. And it is the battle that, that we continue to fight to stay focused on the one who is there, the Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Because what Satan knows is what consumes your mind controls your life. What consumes your mind controls your life because he wants to claim that battleground because he understands that basic principle what consumes your mind controls your life and we're going to we're going to turn as i said towards jesus today and look at him in the midst of a storm Because as we talk about what we think and feel and what goes on in that battleground, for many of us in those moments, we feel that storm. We, We feel that difficult place in life where we are battling everything we can to stay upright. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. And this is a story that I know... The majority of you have heard over and over and over again your whole life. Especially if you've grown up in church. And my guess is even for those of you who have not grown up in church. You've probably at least heard this story. So we're going to begin in chapter 14 verse 22. Immediately... And just for context, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and he's been with his disciples, and immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. I find this so interesting. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. I want you to understand, the boys right now are in the boat because Jesus put them in the boat. And he sent them off across the Sea of Galilee by themselves without him. They have no idea what is coming on the other side. In fact, they have no idea what's going to happen throughout the night. All they know is Jesus put them in the boat, pushed them away from shore, and said, go to the other side. And then he retreated to dismiss the crowds. And I'm sure there are so many what-ifs for these disciples. Because their entire life is centered around being with Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, we go. If Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray, we go up on a mountain to pray. If Jesus goes to feed 5,000 people, we go to feed 5,000 people. If Jesus is going to go heal a blind man, we're going to go with Jesus. Everything they know as disciples is centered around being with Jesus. And now Jesus puts them in a boat and makes them go to the other side of the lake without him. He made them get into the boat and go to the other side. And I want you to notice something. Jesus gives zero details. Only direction. He gives them zero details. You're going to get into the boat. You're going to start to the other side. I'm going to go wait. I'll come find you at some point. While you're there, you might eat. A storm's coming. He doesn't tell them anything except get in the boat and go. And he sends them off. Now, it's really important. Last week we said this. God will take you to places you have not chosen to go. Go. In order to produce in you what you are incapable of producing on your own. The Bible calls that grace. And here he puts them in the boat and sends them off to the other side with no details, only a direction. Only a way that they're going. So where is Jesus? Going on. After he had dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray and later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it so Jesus puts them in the boat sends them to the other side goes up onto a mountain to pray Now the place that they are is the Sea of Galilee, they call it a lake, and they go out into the middle of the sea, and Jesus retreats up onto the mountainside. Now if you know anything about the geography here around the Sea of Galilee, there are all kinds of little foothills and mountains, and most historians say that from wherever you are around the Sea of Galilee, on one of these mountainsides or hills, you can almost always see into the middle of the lake. Their, their reading is so much better than mine. Sorry, I don't mean to call anyone out. Just. What were you we talking about? Yeah, they, yeah they, they can see. Anywhere you are, you can see into the middle of the sea. And the disciples find themselves out in the middle of the sea, and it says the wind is beating against the boat, the waves are against it, the wind is against it, and they're trying to make it to the other side. They're, they're fighting against the waves, and they've been here all night. It says this, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So this phrase, shortly before dawn, in many translations will translate it, the fourth watch of the night. And so there were four watches during the middle of the night. The, the last one, the final one, the fourth watch, was from 3 am. till 6 a, 6 p, or 6 a.m. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And after they fed the 5,000, it was getting dark. Right? So this is like late afternoon, early evening, six, seven o'clock, probably. And he puts them in the boat and sends them to the other side of the sea. This section, or at the Sea of Galilee, it most its um, furthest point across the sea, is at max 10 miles. Okay? So it's, it's a big section. He puts them into the boat. We're thinking maybe 6, 7, 8 p.m. It's 3 to 6 a.m. They've been going at this all night long trying to make this short little journey across the sea. Maybe that gives you just a little bit of a picture of how strong the wind and the waves are that are beating against the boat. And the disciples are by themselves. They assume, I'm guessing that Jesus has no idea what is going on in the boat. But as all those historians will tell you, from wherever you are around the Sea of Galilee, you can always see out into the middle of the sea. And the assumption would be, we can't see Jesus... And so he has no idea what's going on in the boat. But just because they cannot see Jesus in that moment does not mean he cannot see them. It does not mean he is not there, it does not mean he is not watching. In fact, he sees them out on the sea struggling and fighting against the wind and the waves. And then shortly before dawn, during the fourth watch of the night, he goes out walking to them on the lake. Should Jesus have been there sooner? They've been struggling all night fighting the wind and the waves, couldn't Jesus have shown up sooner in the story? And if our assumption is that Jesus' purpose for them in the storm was to show that he is powerful enough to get them out, Jesus is late. And I don't know about you, but for my life, what I want Jesus to do is show me Show up and get me out of the mess. I want God to show himself, to show his strength, to show his power, and get me out of the mess I'm in. I don't, even if I know he's there with me, I don't want to go through it. If Jesus' purpose is to get his disciples out of the mess that they are in, Jesus is definitely late but if his purpose if the reason he put them in the boat and sent them out into the sea and into the storm was not just simply to get them out but in fact his purpose was to grow them in and through the storm Jesus is right on time is it possible That Jesus' tardiness is actually a teaching tool. That as they wait, they are growing. As they go through these difficult moments of of uncertainty and questions, their faith is expanding. See, here's where the what-ifs come in if I'm one of the disciples. Because you've fought against the wind and the waves all night long. You've been battling the elements. And the question would have to come to mind, what if we don't make it? What if the storm gets worse? What if we get to the other side of the lake and Jesus is not there and we don't know what to do? Because those what ifs can be powerful in the hands of Satan. I think he will use those what ifs to wreak havoc on our mind. To cause anxiety and fear and make us question what God is up to. But it says when the disciples, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Those what-ifs that can surface those questions that come to mind and begin to control and consume our thoughts and our mind. I would imagine are there for the disciples. And in this moment, they see a figure walking on the water and they are terrified. And they're not really sure who it is or what it is. They think it's a ghost and Jesus answers them. It's me. Don't be Afraid. Don't be afraid in the storm, in the boat. Remember, Jesus put them in the boat, He made them go to the other side. The boys are in the boat because Jesus put them in the boat and sent them out into the storm. It is I do not be afraid. But something is powerful. Because just as powerful as the what-ifs are in the hands of Satan, they are every bit as powerful in the hands of Christ. Because the what-ifs work both ways. What-ifs work both ways. What if we don't make it to the other side. But what if we do? What what if I can't walk on the water? What if the wind and the waves are too much? What if they're not? What, What if we get to the other side and we don't know what to do or what the future holds? But what if we get to the other side And we get to see the kingdom of God at work in this world like never before. If we will have the the trust and the faith. Because the disciples in the middle of the night have a choice. The disciples could have turned back. They're battling the wind and the waves. They could have turned back and gone back to shore. But I believe there's one thing that kept them moving forward in the face of the wind and the waves. And it was the words of Jesus that sent them across in the first place. They did not know where they were going. They did not know what it would look like when they arrived. They did not know how severe the storm would be or how strong of a battle it would be. But they understood that Jesus sent them there for a reason and for a purpose. And they were going to be committed to the journey. What ifs work both ways. If we will only take the time to reframe them. Those what ifs that make us question Those what ifs that make us wonder what God is up to in this world or why He's put us in this situation. Right? Because our goal, our hope, is that God would come and get us out of the mess. Not necessarily that God would grow us through the mess. We we want God to get us out of the depression, or we want God to get us out of the marriage that is broken. Or we want God to get us out of the dead-end job. We want God to get us out of the neighborhood where we feel like we don't belong. We want God to get us out of the trouble and the the trials and the problems. What if His purpose is not just simply to get you out, but to grow you through, to strengthen you? Because those what-ifs can feed our faith Or they can fuel our fear. As I said, they are powerful tools in the hands of Satan. But if we can learn to reframe the what-ifs, they are powerful tools in the hands of Christ. So Peter, ask this question really demands something of Jesus, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I want you to just just listen to me. You don't need to even read what's there, because what Jesus does next is he says, okay, Peter, here's what I want you to do. You're going to step up to the edge of the boat, And then you're going to step over the side with one foot and over the side with the other foot and you're going to sit on the ledge of the boat and I want you to hold yourself up with the weight of your hands and just easily lower yourself down onto the water and I want you to make sure you step with even weight on both feet. Because if you don't and you get a little off balance, you might start to sink. And then you're just going to keep your eyes focused on me, and you're going to take one step at a time, nice and slow. At least that's what I want him to say. But he says, tell me, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, Listen, here's Jesus' most incredible statement and beautiful details ever. Come. Again, zero details, only direction. If it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Peter gets down out of the boat and walked on water and came towards Jesus. And, and no, no, no go, go back, go back, go back, go back. We do that. We, we fast forward over this part. And I want you to catch this phrase because I think we, we miss it so often. Okay? He walked on the water. He says, come to him. He hops over the side and he actually walks on the water. Now you, you have to stop for just a second and picture this scene, because I think I picture this scene Of this quiet, tranquil sea and everything is nice and calm. There's a little bit of choppiness and a light breeze. A little mist blowing over the edge of the boat. Jesus has walked on water right up to the edge of the boat and he's just standing off the side. Yeah, come on. It'll be fine. And, And just assuming that he can hear perfectly in the boat because he's not that far away and the storm is not that bad. Understand this. They have been going throughout the night trying to make it across the sea because the wind and the waves are so great. I would imagine the wind is howling and the waves are crashing over the boat and they are not close enough to Jesus at this point to recognize him and tell who he is. Jesus is not just standing right beside the boat. It's not nice and quiet. He's off a little distance from the boat, and it is loud. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. Have you ever talked into the wind? Our voices don't carry very well. In fact, from one direction, your voice cannot be heard. But from the opposite direction, the wind has the capacity to carry the voice. Is it possible the wind and the waves that are beating against the boat, that are making life so difficult, become the same vehicle? that carries the voice of Jesus to the disciples. The storm, the wind, the waves, when you should not be able to hear, Peter can hear the voice of Jesus because the wind has the capacity to carry the sound. I've found in my life more often than not that I hear the voice of God so much clearer in the difficult times, in the wind, in the rain, in the storms. I hear the voice, and maybe it's the trials, maybe it's the difficulty of becoming the vehicle that carried The sound of God. What if the trials that we face are God's greatest teaching tool? See, he steps out of the boat and begins to walk on water, and he, for a few moments, is walking on the water until he starts to sink. But here's where I struggle with the story. As many times as I've heard this, I struggle with this part of the story. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now here's the problem. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And listen to what Jesus says. You of little Faith," he said why did you doubt if there is anyone who does not have little faith it is Peter he actually gets out of the boat and starts to walk on the water I mean how many of us are like Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm jumping over the side. I'm doing it. And not timid and not afraid and not scared. Peter does it. And he actually walks on the water until his focus changes and he sees the wind and the waves and he starts to sink. He's actually out there on the sea. And, And part of me thinks, how in the world can Jesus question his faith. He got out of the boat. He tried. He did what so many of us would be afraid and scared to do. He did it. I started to think, just to wonder, what if Jesus' statement is about distance Rather than depth. What if Jesus' statement, you of little faith, is more about distance than it is depth? He gets out of the boat, he starts to walk on water. There is no doubt in my mind the depth of Peter's faith in Jesus. But the question becomes is the depth of his faith enough for the distance required in this journey? As he moves towards Jesus, is his faith strong enough to sustain him the whole way to Jesus? Maybe this is more about endurance than it is depth. I mean, maybe this whole journey was the what if of the other side. And what if God is preparing them for something bigger? What if this night in the boat that terrifies them and scares them and makes them question whether they can make it or not, whether they are by themselves with Jesus, was actually preparing them and growing them for their endurance of faith? Because just fast forward a little bit in Peter's story. Just, just fast forward, and Peter has this moment with Jesus where he says, "You are going to deny me three times." And Peter says, "No, no, 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 not I." And there comes a moment in the garden where Peter stands up and he pulls out a sword and he cuts off the servants here, because Peter was willing to die for Jesus in that moment. The problem was he was not willing to suffer and die with Jesus in that moment. And for him to get to that point wasn't going to take greater depth of faith. It was going to take greater endurance of faith. There was going to be that moment where he did deny Jesus, and he looks across and he sees the face of Jesus and thinks, man, I've got to give up now. But maybe that night in the boat strengthened his endurance and helped him be able to push on further and further than he could before. Because it was never about the depth of faith for Peter. It was always about the distance. It was always about increasing that endurance to be able to stand and sustain yourself. And what I found in my life is those difficult times that I've been through have served a greater purpose. Where God was growing my endurance of faith and my ability to stay with it more than my depth of faith. But what happens is our distance, that endurance increases so does the depth of our faith. So does our belief. And so Jesus, going back to verse 30, says this. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He comes to this moment of just pure desperation and what he sees distracts him James Stanley can I borrow you for a moment pretty pretty please I didn't ask you beforehand cuz I thought you'd tell me no but you don't have to say anything can you can you come help me I know he's reluctant But James is more like Jesus to me than any other person I know. No, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I need need to show them something. They've got to see this. Come on. Please, please, please help me. Help me, please. You're my... Can you... Help me on stage for just a second. Because they need to see this. Peter gets down out of the boat, and he's walking towards Jesus. His faith, it seems, will only carry him so far. Until all that he sees distracts him from the one thing he was focused on. It's almost as if Peter's faith ran out. There wasn't enough endurance there to sustain it. But I want you to notice something. This gap between where Jesus stands and where Peter's faith seems to run out is a gap that's filled with grace. Grace fills that gap. And Peter screams out, Lord, save me. And I'm guessing reaching out his hand and Jesus reaches out his hand and takes his hand and he lifts him up out of the water. And in that moment we see faith and grace go hand in hand. That without the faith Grace cannot fill that gap. But grace fills that gap. Because in that moment, Peter admits that he can no longer do it on his own. And he needs so badly for Jesus to save. Help you too. The beauty of the gospel is that grace fills that gap between where it seems like our faith can't continue on and where Jesus stands. And the only thing in that moment that Peter needs is the hand of Jesus lifting him up out of the water. And I would say that day the endurance of Peter's faith grew exponentially because he trusted in that moment in the only one who had the power to save him. And each week we offer an invitation, and it is literally that picture right there. This gap between where our faith runs out and where Jesus stands. And it is just simply our plea, Lord, save me. That Jesus reaches out his hand and his grace fills that gap. You have an opportunity If you've never given your life to Christ, to do that, to allow grace to fill that gap. Just like Peter, to step out into the water and be raised out of the water because of his faith and trust in Jesus. To be baptized into Christ and raised into a new life. And so we give you that opportunity this morning. If we could pray for you, if we could help you in your journey, we're going to have our shepherds, their spouses around the back of the room. Let us know how we can help you as we follow Jesus together. Let's stand and sing.